And I'll invite us again to turn in God's Word to um, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We are picking back up in our um, Corinthian series, our series in 1 Corinthians, um, and we'll pick up at chapter 6, verse 12. Just as a quick review, if you weren't with us in the fall or if you're uh, new to this series, uh, the city of Corinth was a a wealthy, influential, cosmopolitan, uh, morally corrupt city located at a, a significant crossroads in the Roman Empire. And, and as you can read about in Acts chapter 16, Paul the Apostle had, had gone there after a, a particularly difficult time of, of ministry and he had preached the gospel there and God had brought many to faith and established a, a, a thriving, growing church in the city. And Paul's letter to the Corinthians, actually he's got two that are recording, recorded in scripture, but his letter, this letter to the Corinthians, he's writing back to the church several years after he had, had left, and he's writing back to deal with a number of issues in the church, issues of division, issues of, of disorder, as well as some, some dysfunction in the way they're relating to one another and to the world around them. Um, as well as to answer some questions that they were uh, dealing with there in the church. And as we've seen in our study up to this point, these issues are not unique to the church in Corinth. They are, uh, still manifest themselves in various ways in the 21st century church here in America and in reality in all cultures. And so having spent some time in the early part of the letter dealing with root issues of pride and division, Paul has now turned his attention to some specific issues of sin that are going on in the church in chapters 5 and 6. And we're going to pick up here in our series at chapter 6, verse 12. So it's printed there in your bulletin. Follow along with me as I uh, read for us God's Word. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, But I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised up, God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So flee from sexual immorality. Everyone, every other sin as a, a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Father, would you... Add your blessing and your um, illumination to the hearing and the reading and now the teaching of your word. Would you use it to transform us more and more into the image of your son, Jesus. 
for your good and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the main point of Paul here and of God's message to us this morning can be found in that last verse of the passage I just read. Glorify God in your body. In other words, your body, the physical, tangible, flesh, blood, and bones, living, breathing part of who we are as a person is an instrument with which and by which God calls us to honor and to worship him, to glorify God in our bodies. Now, why is that such a big deal? Why was that such an important thing for the believers in Corinth? And why is it such an important thing for us in the church today to to understand and to hear that? Well, the answer is that from a a philosophical and, and even in some cases a theological point of view and from a practical point of view, Much of the Roman world of of Paul's day lived with this dualistic perspective that viewed the body or the physical as, as distinct and separate and indeed inferior from the mind and the soul or what we might call the spiritual. There was in much of Greek philosophy and and early on in the church under the influence of what was known as as Gnosticism and, and a Gnostic dualism, an overall negative view of the body in relation to what was considered the more significant and elevated aspects of the human self, the mind and reason and the soul. And the result of this perspective from a a practical behavioral standpoint uh, was, was twofold along opposite extremes. On the one extreme, there was this libertine attitude that saw the body as, as only temporary, uh, a prison of sorts, a material shell from which our souls would one day be freed and liberated. And thus it doesn't matter what we do with our, with our bodies in this life. The other extreme was, was a more ascetic kind of view, a, a stoicism, if you will, that saw the body and the physical desires as evil and thus needing to be suppressed, needing to be kept in check so as not to, to, to corrupt the more important and, and higher part of the body or the, the human self in the soul. But in either case, there's this false dichotomy that was created between the physical and the spiritual, with the body seen as kind of the, the lower story, which you may hear in, in some uh, reading some things even today, and, and, the, and, the, and the mind or the soul occupying the upper level, the higher level, the more important and significant element of who we are uh, as, as humans. And indeed, it's this very same dualistic view of human nature that divorces and and separates the essential elements of of what it means to be a person that undergirds and informs most of the pressing uh, issues that we see in our culture today regarding identity, what it means to be human, Issues of of race and discrimination, life issues such as abortion, euthanasia, matters of sexuality and and gender identity, all of these are informed and impacted by how we view the unity or the disunity of, of the body, mind, and spirit in terms of who we are as persons. And that disconnect, that dualism, can also affect the church as well. As, as Christians, we can often treat our relationship with and, and our uh, responsibility towards God and towards others um, with this attitude, uh, a matter of, of simply being what we believe, 
what we, what we know in our mind and, and stressing the importance of the spiritual aspects of our life and faith while downplaying or maybe even ignoring the importance of how that faith is embodied in our lives and how we live that out practically in the, in the material daily living of our lives together and how we treat not only our own bodies, but those of others. And so here, Paul addresses the issue in Corinth and their approach to the use of the body, particularly in regards to this issue of sex and sexual immorality. Now, in order to appreciate what Paul is saying here, it helps to remind us again of the environment in which, which these early Christians in Corinth found themselves. Corinth, as I mentioned earlier, was a sex-charged city. It was part of the, and indeed sex was part of the cultic worship of the pantheon of pagan deities of that day. And at the height of, of the city was a, a great temple to the goddess of love, Aphrodite. And each night, hordes of, of temple prostitutes would descend into the city and, and ply their trade, offering their bodies essentially as tools of, of, of worship to the goddess. And that was just, that was part of life in Corinth. So you can imagine how difficult was for, it was for these, these early believers as, as, as God comes and, and changes their hearts and their lives, many of whom had been a part of this lifestyle before, as, God, as Paul has already mentioned a few verses earlier. Now, in the face of, of that constant pressure and temptation, how hard it was to live by this new transformed life and view in Christ. Well, we don't have to really imagine how difficult it was, do we? Because we live in a similarly sex-charged culture where sexual freedom, sexual expression is not only encouraged and, and expected, but it's even exalted. The motto of what, what was once called the sexual revolution has shifted from if it feels good, do it, to now being it's my body, and what I do with it is my business, and I can do with it whatever I want. In fact, evidently, the, the Corinthian Christians had adopted a, a similar motto or slogan, if you will, that they were using to justify certain behaviors in the church. And as it turns out, it was likely a slogan that had come from the lips of Paul himself, referring to the true liberty that comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. The slogan, which is there in, the, in, the, in verse 12, twice, is this, all things are lawful or permissible for me. Again, Paul had likely used that saying to speak of the true liberty that comes through the gospel, the truth that as believers redeemed by Christ through the sacrifice of Christ for sin, we are set free from the condemnation of the law and now live in the freedom of God's grace and the provision and enjoyment of his blessings and gifts. All things are lawful. Christ has indeed set us free to live as God designed and desires us to live. But some in Corinth were taking that and twisting it around. <laughs> and they were saying that that means we are free to do whatever we desire and we want to do. And combine that with the predominant worldview and the pressure of the culture around them. And you can see how this, this idea that, that, that since the body is somehow less important than the soul and since uh, the body is wasting away in this life and since, since in Christ we, we have been freed from, from the constraints of the law, then we can do with our body whatever we want. It's a matter of indifference in our relationship to God. 
And this mentality was, was captured in another popular saying that Paul notes here. It wasn't just about sex. He says, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And that's true. There's physical elements of that. But he says, the Lord will destroy one with the other. But you can see the, the mentality of that. It's just a physical thing. The body is temporary. The soul is eternal. The body is a, a decaying container for our true spiritual self. So we are free to indulge it as we please. And Paul's answer to that is, no, you cannot do as you please with it. The Lord is just as concerned about the body as he is about the soul. You can't separate those two. In fact, he says, perhaps you should think about another slogan. Your body for the Lord and the Lord for the body. The body for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Have you ever thought about that? Your body, our bodies are meant for the Lord. One reason God gave you a physical body is that it might be an instrument to reflect his glory, to display his goodness. Paul reminds us of this in, in Romans 6, when we, which we, part of which we read earlier, speaking of how Christ has set us free from the bondage of sin and death. And he says, just as you once presented your members, your body, as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, so now present your members, your bodies, as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Freedom in Christ is not freedom to do whatever we please with our bodies, but it's freedom to serve and to obey and to, to glorify God, not only with our souls, but with our bodies as well, with our whole being. Offer our, our lives as living sacrifices to him. So your body is for the Lord. But not only is the body for the Lord, but the Lord is for the body. Jesus is for the body. God is for the body. He created it. He made it according to his unique and perfect design. As I was just saying to the, to the children and as we read in Psalm 139, uh, God knits us together in the womb and we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Our world tends to judge the body based on its appearance or on its abilities by certain standards of beauty or, or size or shape or, or strength or talent. But the Lord judges the body based on acceptance as what he has created, as something that's special to him. He is for the body, even with all its flaws and its deteriorating features in this world. And friends, if we're honest, some of us don't like our bodies. Some of you maybe are constantly complaining about your body. Some of us want to do what we can to change our bodies. And some even intentionally harm their bodies. But we are not meant to have authority or autonomy over our body. That's God's prerogative. That's the, the creature-creator distinction of our human nature. Genesis 1-7 says, God created man in his image... And in his image, he created him, male and female, he created them. And then over in chapter 2, where, where uh, the, the writer zeroes in on how this happens, it says, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, and then he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. And then how did he form the woman? Well, he, he took her out of the physical body of the man and shaped the woman as a perfect complementary 
perfect and, and complementary in relationship to the man to reflect the full image of God together. Both together are essential to the human nature. And if you think about it, what is that human nature? We're made up of both dirt and the divine. We're made up of soil and spirit. We're made up of that, the, the, the material, biological matter of this world with the life of God breathed into us by his spirit. And note that God created as two distinct genders, male and female, complementary in both body and soul for the specific purpose of reflecting that exclusive union and covenant love within the, the triune, the Trinity and the, and the triune Godhead. And through that physical bodily union of husband and wife in one flesh, physical intimacy to fill, the purpose was to fill the earth with other humans, male and female, created in his image. And so you see, we don't get to choose to choose our identity or, or to define our nature as human beings. God has already done that. And the body is for the Lord and the Lord is for the body. Now, we know the reality is that not long after God created the man and the woman, they sinned against God's loving design and against his, his authority. And as a result, our bodies as well as our souls are broken. They are broken. Not only do we experience fear and shame and alienation and confusion and guilt in our, in our minds and in our souls, but we feel pain. <laughs> we experience disease and deformity and decay in our physical bodies. We feel and know that things are not what they are meant to be, both on the inside and on the outside. There is a disconnect there is a dysphoria, if you will, that we all experience in our, in our bodies and in our minds because of sin. And one of the primary areas affected by this brokenness is in the realm of sexuality and sexual relationships. Because they're so key to that, that union of body and soul. And so Paul, addressing that issue here in the context of sexual relationships comes to that, but the root issue which he is tackling is that our bodies and how we use them is not just a matter of indifference or personal preference. It's a matter that is directly impacted by the gospel. Christ's redemption is of our body and our soul, of our whole human nature. And therefore, whether it's in the area of sex or food or exercise or identity, whatever we do to or with our physical bodies we are to do it for the glory of God. And Paul points to three truths that should impact how we view and treat our bodies with regard to God's glory. First, he says, our bodies will be raised up by God. If you think about it, the significance and the sanctity of the body is highlighted by the incarnation of Jesus Christ, isn't it? Jesus himself took on human flesh. God embodied himself, became a man, which included that, that physical, living, breathing, tangible body. And when God raised Jesus up from the grave, from the dead, he didn't just raise his spirit. He raised his body as well. 
Jesus walked and talked and ate and touched his disciples after his resurrection. When he ascended into heaven, his body rose again up into the clouds. We state in the the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the resurrection of the body. And when we get over to chapter 15 of this letter, Paul is going to talk about the amazing, amazing glory of the resurrection. When our mortal bodies will be raised and changed and the perishable will become imperishable. And Paul says, just as God raised the Lord, he will also raise us up by his power. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm reminded almost daily now of the painful effects of sin on my body. Every time I look in the mirror, every time I step on the scale, every time I creak and snap my way down the steps as my joints are, are starting to really feel the, the, the struggles of aging, I feel the truth and the reality that outwardly our bodies are wasting away in this life. They are decaying. And slowly, that happens slowly or sometimes it can happen very quickly. They will lose their ability to function as they once could and one response to that reality I know for me and I think for a lot of us is you know what I better take advantage of my body while I still have it to take advantage of but we forget that this life is not the end this life is not the end our bodies like our souls will one day be raised up by God and on that day we will glorify God with our bodies, with new bodies that will be free of all the painful effects of sin and will be perfectly perfected physically as well as spiritually. God does not throw the body away. He's into recycling. Death will not have the last word. Our bodies will be transformed and are being transformed to be like his glorious body. And what a glorious thing that will be. But you know what that means? It means we don't wait until heaven to glorify God with our bodies. We are in training right now. Our our bodies and souls have eternal significance to them, and thus they are sacred instruments for God's glory. So we are to glorify, glorify God with our bodies now because God will one day raise them up with Christ. Secondly, Paul says, our bodies are joined to Christ. Verse 15, don't you know that your bodies are members of Christ. Our union with Jesus Christ is not just a spiritual union. It has implications for for the body as well. This has profound implication and give insights into what it means to have Christ in you and to be in Christ. When we speak of union with Christ, we speak in terms of of becoming one with him. Paul talks about it later. He says, "I, I have been crucified with Christ And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. (laughs) And the life I live, what? In this body, I live by faith and trust in Christ alone. And so when we speak of union with Christ, we speak in that terms of becoming one. And that's what what marriage and that's what the, the sexual union as God designed it to be is meant to be a picture of. And the evidence of that 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 loving commitment and 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 oneness. Sex is not just a bodily drive or a physical urge to be satisfied whenever and and with whomever we feel, but it's a a physical outworking of a much deeper and binding and intimate union of covenant love and commitment. And it reflects 
Christ and his church and, and, and the, the, the marriage, if you will, that we have in, in Christ. And so to share our bodies intimately with someone whom we have no such union or love or commitment to is to misuse our bodies and to sully that union with Christ. Paul says to the Corinthians, when you head off to that temple prostitute, think about it this way. Would you take Jesus in that room with you? Because when you go, he goes. You can't leave Jesus in the, in the lobby of the hotel. You can't leave him in the parking lot of the bar or in the health food section of the grocery store or in the, in the lobby of the theater. Jesus goes where you go. When you get ready to do something, ask yourself, would I do this if Jesus were here? Because if you're a Christian, the reality is that he is here. <laughs> We are joined together with Christ and therefore he is involved and implicated in how we live our lives and how we treat our bodies. And the third reason is along those same lines when Paul says your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you. It's a dwelling for the Spirit of God. Remember in the Old Testament, the physical temple was a sacred place. It was built and, and maintained and cared for with meticulous detail. There were strict rules and regulations about who could go in and out. There were elaborate rituals to ensure that order and holiness and reverence were preserved in the temple of God. And all of that was meant to, to illustrate the reality that God is in this place. This is holy ground. Well, brothers and sisters, God no longer dwells in temples made with hands, but a temple made with flesh. He lives in and through his people. We are living stones being built up together as a place in which the spirit of God lives. That's, the, that's what we as the church are. And in that way, we should look at our, our bodies as a sacred place, objects of holiness and reverence to be maintained and cared for as temples of the living God, his spirit dwelling in us. Now, don't hear me wrong. We are not to worship our bodies. We are not to worship our bodies. And God is not confined in any way to, to dwelling in our bodies alone. But Jesus purchased us with his blood and he filled us with his spirit in order that we might be filled with the fullness of God himself. And so we are to honor God with our bodies because the spirit of God dwells in us. So those are the reasons why we should glorify God in our bodies. And, and so... How should we do that? Well, let's look back at the beginning of the passage and the slogan that the Corinthians were using. Paul says, all things are lawful for me, but not everything is helpful. Not everything is beneficial. Another way to say that might be, just because it feels good doesn't mean that it is good. <laughs> when it comes to how we treat and use our bodies, we need to not just ask the question, can I do this or is this permissible, but is it helpful? Is it beneficial? Is it useful? Is this activity I am doing or this show I am watching or this food I am eating or this game I am playing or this relationship I'm engaging in or this service that I'm, that I'm carrying out, is it beneficial not only to my own sanctification and growth and the glory of God, but towards others as well? Is it glorifying to God? and good 
for the benefit and blessing of others. But Paul also says, all things are lawful for me, and I will not be enslaved by anything. So not only do we ask the question, is, this, is, it, is it helpful, but we glorify God in our bodies by not allowing our bodies to become enslaved to something besides God. And any physical desire can actually become enslaving, can it? When our desire for something becomes, becomes controlling, in a sense, into how we live our lives, then we have become enslaved, or to use a modern term, we have become addicted, <laughs> And Paul says we need to bring our desires under submission to our bodies, not allow our bodies to repeatedly submit to our desires. We glorify God in our bodies by making them servants to nothing but Christ. So what is it that is potentially enslaving in your life? It may be something that's not necessarily sinful or bad. In fact, it could be something that is even helpful or beneficial in some way, but is it controlling? <laughs> is, it, is it enslaving you? And then when it comes to matters that are clearly sinful, such as sexual immorality, Paul gives us another way to glorify God with our potty, bodies. He says very explicitly, flee. Get away. When you find yourself tempted and, and, and to, to, to go down an avenue or to, to enter into some activity that is, that is clearly uh, uh, apart from God's word, when you're scrolling through social media and that come across that video that looks attractive and is encouraging you to click here and go somewhere else, Paul says, get out of there. Exit the app. If you need to, delete it. Young people, when you find that your group of friends are, are, are headed somewhere or doing something that, that you know is not honoring to God and that is uh, uh, not, not helpful for your body, don't hang around and see what it's all about. Get out of there. Say thanks but no thanks. Pick up the phone and, and call your mom or dad to come get you. We cannot avoid temptations to sin, but God provides a way out. And so one way is we can flee by removing the source or removing the, ourselves from the source of those temptations. So let me close with this. Paul says, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. When Jesus died on the cross for your sins, he signed a deed for your life. You belong to God, not as a slave, but as a treasured possession. You are a beloved child of God whom he has created, whom he knows in every intimate way. He knows the struggles you face. He knows the things that you have done with your body that are not honoring to him. He knows the things that enslave you physically. That's why he sent his son Jesus to set us free from both the penalty and the power of sin. And so I don't care what you have done with your body in the past. God loves you. He forgives you. He accepts you in Christ Jesus. He says, I will make you new. I will make you whole. I will clean up those stains. I will heal those scars. I will make your heart my home. I will dwell in you. 
Don't let your past keep you from believing that God loves you, including your body. And if you have things right now that you are struggling with, God wants you to be free. Jesus Christ lives in you and the Holy Spirit dwells in you. There's a power there to flee and be free of whatever that thing is that is so hard to say no to. If your body is not what you wish it was, maybe it's a health issue, some defect. Maybe it's a feeling or a desire to be different. Maybe like me, you're just getting older and and can't do all that you used to do or want to do. I think of people like Johnny Erickson Tata, confined all her life to a wheelchair, yet reaching thousands through her testimony and her, her, uh, her love for Christ. I think of people who have done damage to their own bodies and, and through Christ have found healing and forgiveness and wholeness and are faithfully glorifying him and serving as members in his body. I think of my own brother-in-law whose body and mind right now are being ravaged by Alzheimer's, who doesn't have a, a sense of, of, of even where or who he is from an outward standpoint. And yet because of Jesus, this is not the final verdict for his body or his mind. And friends, God cares about you, body and soul. And if you haven't received his grace and his love in Christ Jesus. Do that now. He will set you free. He, he has bought us with a price. And that's the language of redemption, forgiveness, and love. He's made us in his image. He's paid for your sin. Your body as well as your soul matters to God. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, let us glorify him with our hearts and with our minds and with our bodies. Let's pray together. Lord, we know the brokenness and the fallenness of this world all too well. We experience it not only in our minds and in our souls, but in our bodies, perhaps maybe more so than we know and realize and Father, it's easy to, to cast that off and say that, that either doesn't matter or that matters for everything and to, and to find ourselves discouraged and despairing and without hope. But Lord, you have created us and you've created our bodies. In your image, we have been created. And we bear that image even broken by our sin as human beings, as part of our human nature. And Lord Jesus, you came and embodied yourself, entered into our flesh and blood, yet without sin, in order that you might redeem us from sin, you might set us free from death, and you might raise us up with you into the heavenlies, and ultimately, body and soul into the new heaven and earth where all things will be made right. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us and equip us to glorify you in our bodies. And, Father, that in that, others would see that and you would be drawn to you and to know what it means to be a person created in your image. 
and one who is dearly loved. And we pray, pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.